0: You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett.
1: Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show. My name is Morag Barrett and Linda this week is working with an executive team in Houston. So, sends her apologies. So, I'm excited to introduce you to a good friend and colleague of mine, Angie Morgan. Angie is the founder of a well-known and renowned leadership development firm, Lead Star, and has an unusual background that has brought our worlds together. And so, Angie, thank you very much for your time. Today, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Welcome to the future proof workplace. Thank you so much, Morag. I'm really happy to be here. So I started in that short introduction. Uh, We're friends and colleagues. We've known each other now for a couple of years. And in fact, such um, synergy in our approach to leadership development, we've actually brought our firms together under the Leadstar brand. And we'll talk more about that later on. But I'm excited to share your story and vision for the Future Proof Workplace with our listeners. But let's start with a little bit of how you got here today. I mentioned you have a different background and story to tell that involves the Marines. So
2: help us get up to date. How did he get to where you are today? Well, yeah, it's it's funny when you think back on your life, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense why all these things happen. But when you start, you know, when I was 18 years old... I had no idea what my future was going to hold. I grew up in a really small town in Northern Michigan, very pre-internet. So my worldview was very small, but I did know that I wanted to attend a large university. So I went to the University of Michigan. And while there, my dad kind of nudged me to try out ROTC, which is you know military training. And that would require a mm-hmm. four-year active duty commitment after college. And much to his um, excitement, because I certainly paid for college, which I think we, as all parents, could appreciate that. That suddenly my college was paid for. Um, I went into the Marine Corps for years. And what happens when you become a Marine is you get introduced to interpersonal skills, which I would call leadership skills, really understanding how to build influence with other people. Because if you think about it, when I was 21, 22, inherited my first platoon, I was pretty much leading my peer group, even though I was the manager, but we were all kind of our same age. And I really learned how to lead through influence. You know, when you're 21, 22, trying to lead your peers. You can't boss, you can't force. But the Marine Corps taught me how to lead by these true Tried and true leadership practices like building credibility, how to demonstrate accountability, how to hold people accountable. More importantly, how to take a group of individuals and transform them with a team to a team. And so, those uh, skills certainly impacted my leadership style when I was in the Marines. And then, when I left active duty in my first, you know, private sector job, it was kind of surprising actually to realize that my peers, my new peer group now, they hadn't been learning these these skills on basic leadership fundamentals. And it wasn't because they were bad people. It just was because they hadn't been introduced to any curriculum like I had been during my time in uniform. And it was around then that my business partner, um, Courtney, she and I were colleagues in the Marines. We decided to launch our business lead star and write our first book leading from the front to help introduce these military leadership style concepts to business professionals. So that's me in a nutshell. Wow.
1: And I can't wait to dive into it deeper. So, tell us a bit more about Leading from the Front, because as an author myself, two books under my uh, belt in the same way as you have two books, it's not an easy undertaking. I think many people just assume you just write a book and there you go, you can retire. So, what was the genesis for Leading from the Front? And tell us a little bit about
2: the themes and the insights that a reader would get from that book. When Courtney and I started to right leading from the front. It just started with how can we take Marine Corps leadership principles and put a private sector spin on them to make them a little bit more applicable. Now the Marine Corps has troop leading principles and there are 11 of them and just simple things like, you know, lead by example, be technically and tactically sound, know yourself and improve yourself. And so all these really great concepts. And so we decided to just put our spin on them. And then with leading from the front too, we wanted to target that book to women because very few women turn to the Marine Corps for leadership guidance, you know, out of 180,000 Marines, only 1000 are Marine officers like Courtney and I were. So it's just a unique insight that we wanted to introduce these curriculums, Curriculum to women. So when we wrote Leading from the Front, we certainly wrote about troop leading principles, but we also put, you know, a chapter called, you know, Don't Cry Over Something That Won't Cry Over You, which really was about emotions in the workplace, like how to harness your emotions. Mm -hmm. And we also, um, I really, just wanted to talk about our two our experiences as women, and so through the process of writing the book, you know, I think Courtney and I we thought, oh, this is going to take six months. This is going to be easy. Well, it wasn't, and it took longer than six months. Yep. And then when you get a publisher involved, they certainly want to put their spit on it too. But and then when um, the book came out, what surprised us was that. We were hearing from readers, I shared this with my husband, I shared this with my boyfriend, I shared this with my male colleague. And that really pushed us to open our eyes to, oh, we need to expand our audience because it clearly isn't a curriculum just for women. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So um, there's a
1: curriculum that goes with it. So tell us more about the work that you've been doing then with Lead Star
2: um, in parallel to Leading from the Front. When we started, um, you know, really pushing Leading from the Front, we had a book and we had a speech, which became a workshop. But mm-hmm. then our clients kept on wanting us to go deeper into their organizations to help them solve some of their other problems that they were having. Retention, engagement, um, promotions, the succession planning. And so that helped us, you know, these opportunities helped us grow into a consultancy. So we certainly were offering training packages, if you were you know, if you say, but then we suddenly found ourselves really working with not just the HR leaders, but with business leaders across organizations to help them think differently about how they can grow and develop the talent around them and keep their talent engaged. So that leads us. Lead Star just had a 14th birthday. Happy birthday, Lead Star. And so now now that's really our, our work. We really like to plug into businesses. Most of our contracts are 18 to 24 months. We really in, um, embed ourselves into our clients' operations, get to know our clients, get to know, you know, all employees at different levels and work with leaders to grow their businesses or to achieve their results that they're seeking to achieve. And we really like to ensure too that whatever we do ties to the bottom line because if you're just investing, you know, spending money on training, That doesn't mean that you're growing the business or adding to the bottom line. And we really feel it's our responsibility as consultants, as trainers, to help the businesses achieve their business objectives.
1: I love that business focus, and I think that's one of the things that differentiates, but maybe you can help um, our listeners understand, is that the leadership development space is a very cluttered market. There are low barriers to entry. People can hang the shingle out and say, oh, I can do training, but ultimately, that's what it results in, training, one-off events. And so, tell us a little bit more about that process that differentiates Leadstar and the the how you deliver the business benefit versus
2: a happy sheet and a training workshop. But they are really happy sheets and happy workbooks and happy slides. Good classroom experiences. Well, I think what's really unique about our firm, and it's nothing you know, something that we grew into, was when we started our work, you know, you know, fourteen plus years ago. We had a workbook. We had a workshop, and it was just a one-off event. And we knew. You know, I think instinctually, it takes more than just a one-off event to grow and develop your leadership skills. It takes experience. It takes reflection. And so for us, I think that this is where the integrity around our work really came into play. Yeah, you know, clients call us all the time. Can you come in and do a workshop? We'll say, of course, we could do that, but what do you want to achieve? If you just want your employees to have a good time for a day and forget everything they learned the next day, yeah, we could, you know, we could achieve that goal, but I don't think it is a wise investment for your training dollars. And so rarely do we do these one off events because we know that it doesn't grow and develop leaders. And that's what we care about. We care about helping people achieve behavior changes, which takes time and it takes support and it's you know, consistent messaging, because I know I personally have attended conferences before where I have a really good time, but I don't remember what I learned. And I certainly don't put what I learned into practice. And that's something we don't want to do for our clients. Uh,
1: so, and it's underpinning one of the, the facets that you talk about in your latest book, Spark, which is a New York Times bestseller around service. So we've talked a little bit about uh, leading from the front. So what on earth made you write a second book and what makes Spark so special?
2: So that's uh, a, a great question. I was thinking as you're asking that, like what on earth made me have a second child? <laughs> that's true. What makes you want to do anything again? It's because the pain of the experience is in the distant past that you've forgotten about it and you romanticize that it. it's such a fun endeavor. Let's do this again. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness. I, I think we had more to say. Uh, by the time Spark came out, um, we had more experiences. We had more um reflection on our work. And we wanted to write something that wasn't straight out of the Marine Corps and still had that military feel to it, but could also uh, just incorporate our other experiences, professionally speaking, in life. Mm -hmm. So... So I think that that was something that we really were committed to, is just rounding up. I mean, I think that there are such um, compliments to leaning from the front and to SPARK, yet we wanted to evolve our thinking and our contribution. And we wanted to expand our audience to with SPARK to include men as well. That was pretty important to us. And we actually had a co-author um, who was a male to so had his voice at the conversation. So it was a, yep. a positive experience. It was a positive experience a second go around. It
1: is. It's amazing how much you learn. So so tell us a little bit more about how your thought leadership had evolved. So what would I discover in Spark that is um, building
2: on leading from the front? What's new? What's different? I think the most important thing is that the author's specifically Courtney and me, because we're co-authors on both, we we were different. Um, we'd spent more time now as consultants. We had more experiences, especially being working parents. That wasn't anything I wrote about in Leading from the Front. Um, and we've had executive experiences, which are very different than um, what we wrote about in Leading from the Front. So Spark, I think it, it's a more balanced, I hesitate to say more mature, but I can't think of another word to talk about it. Just a more mature um, you know, uh, perspective about the workplace experience and how our work could tie into that. So I think us just having different, you know, different experiences leading up to that, it it adds another, you know, just just new anecdotes and new stories. And we've talked a lot um, about the Marine Corps, what we learned in the Marine Corps and how we applied it and leading from the front. And Spark, we certainly talk about the military, but to not the extent that we did with leading from the front, because again, that was a very distant experience for both of us.
1: Okay. Well, we're coming up on a break. So uh, when we come back, I'd love to explore more about some of the leadership challenges that you're seeing with the clients that you work with. So stay with us. You're listening to the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show with Morag Barrett. And our guest this week, Angie Morgan, who's a founding partner at Leadstar.
0: Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com.
1: Welcome back. And our guest this week is Angie Morgan, one of the founding partners of Leadstar. You can check out Leadstar at leadstar.us. And we're talking about their New York Times bestselling book, Spark. And if you're curious to learn more, do go to sparkslead, S-P-A-R-K-S, sparkslead.us. And you'll find a wealth of online resources as well as information on how you can get your hands on a complimentary copy of the book. So, Angie, thank you again for joining me. So, what do you see as some of the common leadership challenges? You said when you went into a corporate role, you were surprised how your peers hadn't had access to the curriculum that you'd had during a time at the Marines. So, over the 14 years that you have been working with businesses as Leadstar, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing now in the future-proof workplace uh, that companies and individuals really need to be paying attention to?
2: Well, I think the way that we talk about leadership needs to evolve. I see often with organizations, it's often misunderstood what true leadership is, and people tie it to positional authority or power or when true leadership is about building influence providing inspiration to others. And so with all the work that we do, even in our book Spark, we really try to disassociate the word manager and leader and let people understand that managers hold places in organizational charts and leadership can happen anywhere in an organization. And with that, we spend a lot of time talking about trust. And it sounds like such a soft soft Mm -hmm. concept. But at the same time, if you've ever worked in an environment where trust lacks, it's a miserable place to work. And that is truly what happens with organizations and turnovers and disengagement. People just don't feel trusted. And so with that, then we spend time, a lot of time actually, talking about behaviors that build and generate trust. Um, I think Two of the most important ones that actually serve as the foundation of trust are, you know, character and your workplace credibility. But just being able to say that, like character and your workplace credibility, somebody could say, "Okay, that's- sounds um, easy." <laughs> sounds <laughs> easy. And so we we break it down. It's like, how do you develop your character? And it starts with values. I mean, what are your values? And you can ask anyone that. And Most people, when they hear that, they get a little stunned. Like, they haven't thought about that. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing about our values is if we're not Thinking about them, if they're not top of mind, top of mind it's, it's probably likely, likely that we're not going to act in accordance with them, whatever those are. So, if you ever wonder why do bad, you know, good people do bad things or why do good people not always bring their best self, it's probably a values disconnect that they're not familiar with. It, it could be very unintentional, but sometimes that happens. So, character is important. And then your credibility, you know, what's your say, do gap, which is the phrase we use. What's the space Mm -hmm. between your action and your words? I mean, that space is critical because we all know people who are flaky. We don't trust them. We might like them. They might be friendly, but um, if you can't, trust somebody to say what they're going to do, then it's, it's not, and you guys talk about this too with um, your work, Moreg, it's, it's not going to be that allied relationship. Mm-hmm. It just won't be. I mean, trust should be unconditional. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I shouldn't have to pinky promise. I should just do it. And yeah. so and that's really what we focus on, um, is helping organizations build trust and then other behaviors as well to drive performance. It's interesting
1: because as you say, it's easy to say um, in a classroom environment, it's actually hard to articulate, which is why we get the stunned looks when you ask somebody, well, what are your core values? But then narrowing it into pragmatic steps. And I was working with a a global digital company that everybody would be familiar with, but I won't mention their name today, um, just last week. And one of the challenges that they were asking, why do apparently good people and good companies do bad things? And we were talking about some of the headline news around emissions scandals, the data leaks or data sharing inappropriately. And we look at it incredulous as to how does that happen? And so what's your take on why do these things happen? Why do we see the, the predictable surprises
2: of people gone bad or companies gone rogue? It doesn't happen overnight, right? It's not like I... Um you know, today I'm a really solid employee and tomorrow I'm trying to burn this place down or, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to embezzle money. What, I, what I've what i always seen, and this is a surprise to me, when I was leaving the Marine Corps was going into pharmaceutical sales and I started working in pharma, big pharma in the early 2000s and it was such a different time than it is now with all the FDA regulations, but I got like this massive budget. Um, that I had to spend. And if I spent it down, and this was entertaining doctors, taking them to Laker games because I was living in LA, um, you know, going to really nice dinners. And so if I spent all my money, I got more. Like I was really incentivized to spend. But then I went to a conference, a sales conference, And I was listening to my colleagues, you know, overhearing some of their conversations, and they were literally talking about how they hid expensive bottles of wine in their, you know, expense accounts. I mean, basically, they were like kind of bragging about how they were working the system and stealing money from the corporation um, because they're – they could. I mean, they just basically could. And it just was really shocking for me coming out of the Marine Corps where I grew up with my ethos, you know, when I was a young trainer, you know, you do not lie, cheat, or steal. It just shocked me. So it's it starts there, right? I mean, unethical behavior um, starts small. It's, you know, stealing a bottle mm. of wine from an event and thinking it's okay. Then it starts with taking your spouse out to, out to dinner on the company's dime. And pretty soon, it's like a slippery slope, but Mm-hmm. So there, there's that. And I'm talking specifically about unethical behavior, but there's other things too, right? I mean, if you're a, a leader who has a temper tantrum, you know, maybe one time you get a pass on it, but nobody calls you out. Maybe the second time still nobody calls you out. And then pretty soon you're just an animal. Um, that's not unhealthy <laughs> either. Like, you, you know, unchecked behavior, um, yeah, but it can go the it's other way. I've seen teams and I've seen
1: organisations transform their culture uh-huh. by investing in their people strategy and doing the reverse. It's those baby steps of changing the behaviours, narrowing the say-do gap, and then others start to believe and trust is rebuilt. So. But again, yeah. have you have you seen those sort of transformations, and and how do you act as a catalyst? So somebody listening to this, going, you know what, I, I need to. I'm at a senior leadership level. I know I can affect change. Where do I start? What would be the first step and first piece of advice you'd give to somebody around
2: character and credibility? Yeah, um, great question. And I, I so yes, yeah, so obviously we've we've seen a lot of organizations transform their cultures. And it's not easy work. I'll allow that. I mean, it takes a lot of intention and effort, but it's possibly the most rewarding work that organizations can do because let's face it, we spend so much of our time at work. It shouldn't be a miserable place. And if you're a leader and executive, you have a tremendous role to play in the culture because culture starts with you. What are the values that you're operating What are the behaviors that you're demonstrating? What is the example that you're setting? And so whenever we really engage with organizations, one of the very first things I like to do is understand first off their mission. What are they supposed to be doing? Their vision, what do they even want to be doing? And then what are some of their guiding principles and values? Now, most organizations have guiding principles and values, but more often than not, they're just words on a wall, you know, a Mm -hmm. dusty poster. And so we start there. It's like, okay, these at one point you got together and said that these are your guiding principles. Are they in action or are they not? And how do we make them values in action? Because every culture is different. And so if this was the culture that you aspired to achieve, let's assess where are you, where are the gaps, and how do we build around it Um you know, a lot of our work, we, you know, like any, like any organizational development consultant, we've got our tools and assessments and surveys and all those others. But I think at the end of the day, we really just want to understand what are your expectations for your culture? Where are the gaps? How do we build those like you would build any muscle? And um, and how do we hold you accountable? And so most of our work too, um, it's not, it's often not a quick fix. It's not, you know, a, a test that is an uh, un- enabled you know that you, you that you can't accomplish you certainly can it just really f- takes effort and focus on what it what is going to move the needle and how do we build a program that will allow the organization to do that.
1: So, you talk there there about the vision and mission of the company and corporate values. These are words that have been around for a long time, and in many cases, to your point, are posters on the wall, not necessarily living, breathing documents. What was interesting for Linda and I as we researched the future-proof workplace, though, was a transition maybe from these traditional terms to one of an underlying theme of purpose and certainly for the next generation the younger generations we're seeing that this connection with am i connected to something that's leaving a legacy that matters am i connected to something the bigger than myself is becoming more prevalent to what extent are you seeing that too in the work that you've been doing
2: So, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something that is more and more on demand. People want to know that what I am doing matters. And if what I'm doing doesn't really matter, say that I'm just, you know, I'm I'm manufacturing something that is super, super exciting. What is the organization doing to matter? Like I was working with um, a tent manufacturer. And what I loved about the CEO there is that he always told people, I know we make tents, but we do more than that. We are a manufacturer in a small town in Northern Michigan. We create jobs, we create community, we create opportunity. We invest in our community. The better we do, the more we're we're allowing this community to thrive. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, again, if you're not, you know, you know, maybe like physicians, you could see the natural purpose in their work, or some you know nonprofits, you can see um, the natural purpose in their work. But even if you, if feel, you like feel like your work is work inconsequential, is you have an opportunity to. You know, I have a, and another example. I've got a good friend who works for John Deere, and what he would do was go on the manufacturing floor. He's a manager, and he'd always go to the manufacturing floor. Like what you are doing allows a farmer right now in Europe. To grow their crops, and it's great, right? To just make that purpose connection. We also work with mm-hmm. a popsicle manufacturer, and they would always tell their, you know, their employees on the manufacturing line, "What you are doing is going to bring smile to su- a smile to somebody in the summertime." And so, <laughs> that's kind of cool. So you can find it, right?
1: Yeah, given that it's over 100 degrees here in Colorado this um, week, that popsicle and putting a smile on somebody's face is very pertinent. (laughs) It's hard to to think about in a dead winter, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to take you back in time um, and then bring you back forward. So you talked about your time in the Marines and at a very young age, 21, leading and influencing your peers. And I assume at that time, being a female officer in the Marines, you were one of a minority. Was that yes. true or am I? Yes. So and no, we've seen so. and this year we've seen the outburst of Me Too. And so I'm curious to know how your experience in the Marines, to what extent, how how were you accommodated as a female officer or not? And what do you think is triggering the change in society right now where the Me Too voice has become So loud. So that's a big, long,
2: complicated question. Take your answer where you will, and we'll go from there. (laughs) So it's like you hear me too, and it's like you want to say me three, right? Certainly from my time in the Marine Corps, people ask I mean, I think that's a really just natural curiosity because. The, the military and some sexual assault scandals and things like that make the news quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, what I learned from that experience was, well, first, was I sexually harassed? Was I ever, I was never sexually assaulted, but I certainly was sexually harassed, uh, like, weekly. Like, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't uncommon mm-hmm. or just to have, you know, somebody call you some, not some nice names underneath their breath. Like that just happened. And what I learned, I learned, a few, you know, a few really important lessons. I think that you teach people how to treat you. And so one of the most important things I learned is if anybody were to say anything to me negatively, I shut it down right away. And I would mm-hmm. just basically say, you cannot talk to me like that. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't. And I think that you just had to be on, you know, be aggressive with that, just teaching people how to treat you. Like you can't say those things to me. And most times a not. people stop because yep. you set those expectations and boundaries. Um, the second thing that I learned is that a well-placed four-letter phrase can get you out a lot of a sticky, <laughs> sticky, sticky situation. So I could learn how possibly to swear like a sailor and get myself out of situations that I found unsavory. I think the most important thing though, that I learned is that, there are a lot of things, obviously, that I can't control in my environment. Like I couldn't control that there were, you know, I was an extreme minority. Um, I couldn't control the fact that I was a woman. I couldn't control um, people's biases and perceptions and misperceptions about women and their performance in the workplace. But what I could control every single time. Was how I showed up. Was Mm -hmm. I a strong performer? Was I a leader? Was I meeting the organizational standards? Because you can spend a lot of time on those things you can't control, or you can spend those things on the things that you can control. Like in the Marine Corps, uh, physical fitness was a really critical standard. So I just owned that. You know, I took delight in being, you know, a faster runner than my male peers and doing more pull ups than my male, male peers just because I. Learn quickly what's going to get me credibility in this organization. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's actually a good lesson for anybody too. Um, Always asking yourself what is going to get me credibility in this organization? What do the decision makers in this organization value? And am I meeting those standards and expectations?
1: So, Angie, we're going to go to break again. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about how do we remain present in such a busy world so that we can be asking those questions. So you're listening to the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show. My name is Morag Barrett, and our guest this week is Angie Morgan, who is the co-founder of Leadstar, a global organization development firm. Stay with us.
0: We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the future-proof workplace whether you're a ceo manager or just trying to survive the chaos the future-proof workplace is your wake up call because let's face it the future is now linda sharkey and morag barrett are sought out keynote speakers leadership development and organization experts and they can help you start future-proofing your organization To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com.
1: So, Angie, while we were on break here, we had a question come in from one of the listeners who's been uh, listening to our conversation. He says, this is all great. He says, but I'm so busy at work. And you were talking before the break about um, finding out what uh, leadership values and how do I role model it. And the question is ultimately, how do I find out? How do I know in the sea of all this information
2: what it is I should be focusing on? So I think the most important thing you should do is carve out some time for time for for yourself to reflect on that question. And guess what? Um, if you go to sparkslead.us, we have um, a one-page worksheet that lists 30 of the most commonly held values and spend some time going through that exercise and write down like, what, ultimately what are your top three values in priority order. Then the next thing I would recommend you doing is look at your calendar for the past two, three, four weeks and match up are you living your values? I've always found um, in my life when I do this, you know, exercise and I look at um, my calendar and there is misalignment, it just is a really great call to action for me. And so if I ever feel like something isn't right, something is disconnected, something just doesn't feel like I'm achieving what it is I'm supposed to be achieving, I go through that values exercise and just try to get myself realigned to what is most important. And it's never gonna be like, I think a lot of folks, specifically me at this stage of my career, like family is really, really important to me. And I would say that they'd be number one or two <laughs> any given day, right? I'm not exactly sure if they're number one or two, but they're up there, they're the top one or two. But um, it's not that it's because I spend the most time with them. I mean, I'm a working mom. My husband is actually running for a public office right now. So our life is really crazy. So it's not like a time distribution, it's just, are they there? Are your values there? Are they represented? Are they giving the appropriate amount of, you know, it's not quantity, it's quality? Are they getting the quality time that they deserve? Yeah, it's interesting because the work-life
1: balance conversation
2: is one of those hot buttons
1: for me because it's not about either or. It's a work-life integration, I think, is what we should be focusing on. And to your point, if we're not paying attention to where is that, uh, whether it's family, friends, um, just quiet time for me and the work persona, where they are on the pecking order and what am I actually doing on my calendar, it's easy to get out of balance. And then unfortunately, the, the consequences can be uh, detrimental for everybody. The ripple effect is hard. Um,
2: and, you know, it's that too like the balance thing. I mean, recently I took Facebook off my iPhone. I love Facebook. It is so much fun. Um, but I took it off my iPhone and I started using iBooks. Now, I don't like to read books on my phone, but if I'm mm-hmm. waiting, I can – read. And it, it's, it's amazing how sometimes those subtle shifts, like it's very important to me to be a reader. I love reading fiction. I love reading poetry. I love just to read. And it's just funny sometimes like when you realize like, oh, I'm wasting too much of my time doing non-important. Like, I think you should always mm-hmm. take time to relax. Social media isn't evil, unless of course you're using it for doing bad things. <laughs> but yeah. but it's like, how do you, how do you work to integrate the things that matter to you with the time that you have?
1: I like that. And that's a small, simple step. Uninstall it from one and replace it with something that you feel that a fills your soul with the poetry, et cetera, and the reading, but also keeps you up to date with what's happening in the world. I'm curious, you mentioned there that your husband's running for public office and that's a big decision to make. So what sparked that? And what have you learned about our political landscape or the whole process as you've gone through this?
2: Yeah, so it was after the November presidential election that my husband and I spent time thinking. We, well, we weren't excited to be candid. We weren't excited going into the voting booth. We knew that whatever the outcome was gonna be, it wasn't gonna be a healing, unifying experience for our country. And then after the election, we decided to do something about it. And we thought, well, what could we possibly do? And we felt it very important to help identify a candidate to run for U.S. House of Representatives in our district. And so as we were searching, we discovered that the best candidate was going to be my husband, Matt. Um, He's a (laughs) retired Marine, right? It's like you're looking around and then you look in the mirror. You're like, oh, if not me, then who? And so that was about 15 months ago. And What um, we discovered since his election is many things, Um, some negative, some positive, but most importantly, everything is a learning journey that's been amazing. I found that we people, despite partisanship, we share a lot more in common than is uncommon. And if you watch your news or you read your newspaper, you wouldn't believe it. But that's the thing that's been most inspiring to me is that uh, I was in a parade Um, in April in this really um, poor town. It was actually the town I grew up in. And what I found really interesting is that I saw friends who were, you know, on my side of the aisle. I saw families who I assume would be on the other side of the aisle, but we all lined the streets. We're all grubbing for candy, you know, that would get Mm -hmm. checked from things. And we all wanted the same thing. Everybody wants, you know, for parents, we all want our kids to grow up with opportunity. We want them Mm -hmm. to be closely connected to us we all want you know to 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 be healthy to have access to quality health care i mean at the end of the day that we have so much more alike than we have different and that was this so that so far has been that's reassuring yeah yeah just a really positive experience like we all want this we all essentially want the same things so how do we bust through all the noise and find our common ground
1: It's exciting. And again, as I say, it's a big commitment. So thank you for for doing this and starting to affect change. But again, as I look at the future-proof workplace, it's that transparency. Um, We're all budding paparazzi. And the reality is as individuals, as teams, companies, as cultures, we are only one Facebook post, one Twitter feed away from success or failure or having our strengths or our weaknesses shared to the world. And it's making a huge difference, I think, to how we do business and how we lead and how we build high performing teams. And it's something that we need to be deliberate and thoughtful of in the way that we communicate and work with others. What's your experience?
2: Well, as as you were talking about, um, you know, as I was thinking about the future Proof Workplace. What I was thinking um, just about people, you know, anybody who who actively engages in their work environment, one of the questions I would say is like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about ideas? Are you bringing Mm -hmm. the things that you're reading into your discussions? I mean, we all have to have lunch. Are you eating lunch at your desk or are you eating lunch with colleagues? What are you talking about? Are you talking about the interesting books or articles that you're reading? Are you talking about your colleague (laughs) and gossiping Mm -hmm. and doing some of the office cooler stuff that is uh, unsaving? And I think that um, anyone who's looking to contribute to a better working environment, um, which really is critical, I think. I think your book really highlights that. I mean, where we work is often more important than what we do because we're giving our time and hopefully it's mm-hmm. time well spent. But I like to think, and this is where I believe our work matches up, like everybody has an opportunity to contribute to a positive environment. It just means I start by checking in with yourself and then ask, what am I bringing to the table? Maybe not the boardroom table, but, you know, my lunchroom table in in the back office. Am I bringing my best? Yeah.
1: So as you look to your future, then the next 18 months, then what are the steps you're taking to future proof your career? to to look at what you're doing and how
2: you're contributing? So it starts by partnering with some pretty awesome people, right? <laughs> That's a critical thing. I think the second thing, um, I was just having a conversation yesterday with this woman about just the intention. Like what intentionally am I doing um, to make, you know, not just my success happen or my vision for myself happen, but also to... The, the visions that my colleagues have happen. How intentional am I being? Like we can we can walk through life. I think we can, you know, we, Marguerite, you and I are talking, we can phone things in, you know, we can, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, just, just show up and do. And maybe some people have been doing that for a very long time, but that's not thriving. That's not you achieving your fullest potential. I think if you focus on, you know, where am I? What do I want to do? putting a plan in place for the future, then you can start executing. It's, it's interesting to me that, you know, the work that you write about and the work that we do, a lot of it comes down just to personal discipline. What are the disciplines are you putting in place? What disciplines are you building around yourself? What habits are you building and are they propelling you forward?
1: So you talked earlier about how you like to read um, and poetry. That was a new insight for me. So I'm not going to ask you to quote poetry, but I'm just thinking about in the leadership development space, who are the role models that inspire you? And what are you reading um, right now to to, to help inspire you in the work that you're doing? So I
2: am… I love like a few, this is the, I, I will glimpse or, you know, I will read business books, but that's not where I get my inspiration. I love Marianne Williamson. I love Maya Angelou. Those are the two like Mm -hmm. amazing thought leaders that I'm looking to right now uh, because they talk a lot to me about mindfulness and intention and this kind of collective consciousness that we all have, that we're all part of you know, a group. And I, I think that's a lot of what we do with our work actually is like, we're trying to create, um, a collective mindset about how we behave together. So I like to look outside the business literature for that. Um, and I'm really interested in the sounds, so you may not know this, but I'm really interested right now in like the transcendentalism movement and, um, oh, just poetry. <laughs> like, oh, <yes. laughs> just poetry. <laughs> I love Henry David Thoreau and, um, I love uh, like Ralph Waldo Emerson, and so I'm just going back to some of the poets I read yes. younger, and now that I'm a little bit more older, I um, so I've been reading more about them, and their are kind of concepts of oneness, and so I think that that's really where my thoughts are taking me, like this collective, this collective conscience, this you know kind of how do we work together, and what is this we? Is it just you know our minds are connected and. See this kind yeah. of—that's kind of wonky—but I'm, I'm really into this stuff.
1: <laughs> I think it's interesting, though. I feel the same, though, as I move through my life and career. My open-mindedness to some of what I would have dismissed as woo-woo or just oh, it's just poetry, etc. In my younger days, I now realise that there is something to be gained from this. And I'm also—it goes back to your earlier comments uh, around how more in common we have with each other when we realise. I think we jump to conclusions and make assumptions about motives, intent, background, ability potential, et cetera, when we meet people, some of which is accurate, but a lot of it is not. And when we pause, to your point, when we're in the moment, when we're present, when we're being thoughtful and curious, we have an opportunity to create together, whether it's a high-performing team, a high-performing company, a high-performing town, a um, high-performing country or whatever, however we want to do it. We do it when we're thoughtful, when we're open-minded, when we're connected. But it takes deliberate
2: action, and that's that's the seed change I'm seeing. No, you're right. I think about the deliberate action. I think that that's it. It's it's. There's no such to me like there's no such thing as like you know that one and done. Like you just can't do something once. It's it's building the habits. It's building the muscles, and I think it's key. It is key.
1: So I know we'll be coming shortly to the end of this. So. Give me three things. What are the three things that you would like listeners to be taking away from our conversation
2: today? Oh, gosh, this is a tough one. Um, I think the first most important thing that you should do is um, check in with yourself your values and just make sure that you're on the right path for you. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think that's always critical for anybody. And it's such a hard task to do because it requires reflection. Like you can't really do it in your office. You can't really do it on your drive home. Give yourself two to three hours and just check in with yourself just to make sure that you're setting the right course. Um, I I think the second thing that I'd like listeners to take away is re-examine your own expectations of yourself. I, there's some really oh, great channel. research. Oh, well, I think there's a lot of great research that we often put, um, you know, there's a, we often have missed expectations for ourselves. Like we think we're capable of X when really we're capable of more. And so just check in with yourself and just ask yourself some basic assumptions. Um, are, are they perhaps wrong? Can <laughs> you achieve more? Can you achieve more than you think you can? Can you do more than you think you can? Can you try something that you think you can't? I, I just feel like we have, that's one of the biggest takeaways I got from the Marine Corps is like, I thought I was capable of X. The Marine Corps showed me I had more to give and they gave us a lot of, you know, physical exercises to show that type of, um, you know, just missed expectations it, of ourselves. It goes It goes back to Carol Dweck's work on the growth
1: mindset. I think we put self-limiting beliefs on, I can't because or I'll never be good at this. I can't run and carry a big pack on my back, whatever it is. I can't get to the C-suite. I can't be a VP. Um, but the reality is you don't know until you try. And even if you take a step forward and end up taking half a step back, it's a learning opportunity that you can then springboard to that next opportunity. So stop and reflect on your values. And how do you manifest those at work or at home? Are you living those? And then set yourself the the growth mindset I'm hearing as the challenge of exponential. If you think the bar is so high, reach higher, because chances are you're underestimating your abilities. Is there a third then a third theme you would like listeners to take away
2: from? Today's yeah, and I think that the third thing would be just be really intentional with what is. So if you again, if you if you do the work of understanding your values, if you do the work of resetting expectations for yourself and pushing yourself those expectations a little higher, then be just intentional. You
0: be know, intentional. be
2: intentional with you know how you approach your day, how do you approach your week, how do you approach your year. I was hearing this quote. Maybe you've said it then I've just ripping it off from you, but we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year. And that to me is like, gosh, there's so much um, untapped potential there that's on the table. And so just yep. being intentional with how we go about our days.
1: I'd love to take credit for that quote, overestimate what we can do in the day and underestimate what we can do in a year, but it's not me, but I'll take a, a secondary credit for it. Thank you for okay. that. You're so two that sounded
2: they- like something wise you would say more oh, wow well, thank you.
1: So here we're coming to the end of our show. So two things I want you to give an opportunity. One is we've talked about Spark. Um, so how and where can people find more about Spark?
2: So they can, so they go, can to go to Sparks, to Sparks lead. lead. Us, And they can learn about where they can get complimentary copies of Spark. And we have some videos there and exercises that people can partake in. There's also slide decks. So if you like the concepts, you like the ideas and you want to download the deck and bring it to your work environment, you can do that too. I love that. That theory of abundance. We don't keep the IP to ourselves.
1: It's take it, rebrand it, use it how you will. But Sparks, there are Sparks everywhere. Everybody listening, you are a spark. So go to sparkslead.us and gain more resources and complimentary copies here. The second is, how do people get in touch with you and
2: learn more about Leadstar? Well, they can email me or follow me on, or, you know, kick with me on LinkedIn, but LeadStar lead is amorgan at leadstar.us. So amorgan at leadstar.us or connect with me on LinkedIn. They can follow LeadStar on Facebook. We have some fun posts. We had a really good one today and we've got really good ones in the future, I'm sure. So yep. find us there all right
1: well thank you angie i have enjoyed our conversation today thank you for sharing your insights on the future proof workplace and the leadership development journey that we're all on you've been listening to myself my name is morag barrett co-author of the future proof workplace with dr linda sharkey and my advice to you is remember the future of work is not tomorrow the future of work is today are you ready
0: This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.